Well, hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library with me, Chris Stanmore Major. And in this episode, we're continuing with the book The Romantic Challenge by Sir Francis Chichester. We're beginning chapter five, and this is part 14 of the reading. Now, if you haven't already, please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. And there for $5 a month, you can not only support this podcast, but also get access to additional exclusive Patreon only content. Now on with the story. Chapter 5. Escape from the Caribbean Sea During the twelve days Gypsy Moth spent at El Bluff, I was planning the next move, pondering over charts, sailing directions and hydrographic meteorological charts. Gypsy Moth had achieved my principal ambition, to break through the 200 miles per day solo barrier, so there was no longer that excuse for a dart down to the equator and back. But I wanted more adventure, and above all I wanted to be free, as free as a wild seabird like the stormy petrel, to sail where I liked, as long as I liked, on the great ocean. This longing was strengthened by my feeling of being trapped in the Caribbean. I was enclosed by land, shut in with islands, caves, reefs and shoals, on a sea 1,550 miles from east to west and 700 miles from north to south. I had already made up my mind to sail down to the equator before returning to England, but to give substance to my plan, I thought that with the experience I now had of sailing for speed, I could coax Gypsy Moth to put up a much faster five-day run. I would try for one on the way down to the equator and again on the way north from it. I sailed out of Bluff on the 17th of February. I felt queasy and clumsy, truly at sea, and I don't suppose that having only three and a half hours sleep after my last party with Bart and his friends improved either my resistance to seasickness or my efficiency. My guests were invited aboard for a drink at six o'clock and I assumed that the party would end at seven because I could not speak any Spanish. At least, I hoped so because I had so much still to do on board. However, at eleven, I was still following the example of the colonel in drinking Florida Canna with lemon juice and ice. The major was drinking whiskey, Bart brandy and Bart's boss, who was there too, gin. I fear they did not get a very sympathetic reception when they came aboard in the morning. After being tied up to the Coast Guard cutter for nearly a fortnight, there was quite a lot to do to cast off in the strong tide, pressing a beam on Gypsy Moth, and I did not want to be distracted by anything. I wanted to be able to concentrate on working my passage alone out of bluff, without ramming anything, going ground or whatnot, as well as waving goodbye to all my friends. My agony could not have been as prolonged as it seemed, because although I did not leave the jetty until nine o'clock, and then had to motor down the channel out of the harbour before hoisting sail, my log records that five sails were set by 9.30. At 10.30, my very good friend Bart shouted and waved goodbye, and the landing craft in which he had been seeing me off returned to El Bluff. I was in 13.5 fathoms and felt seasick due to the strong head-on swell running onto the coast from the east. The movement was horrible. This boat, I logged miserably, is hellish on the wind. All the afternoon I dozed or slept or read, lying on my bunk and thanking God that I could do so because I wasn't racing and there were no hazards about. The sea was empty and there was plenty of sea space ahead. What a relief to be able to do nothing when feeling seasick. I felt depressed and lonely, however. I missed Bart's company and my beloveds in England, and seemed a long, long way away in time and distance. But it was no good giving in to this sentiment, so I pushed myself into preparing 
and taking a star fix. It was useful in getting me a good fix, but perhaps its chief value was in the satisfaction of doing a job well, and I began to feel better. I was rather bitten by this star fix business. I used to scorn it because only a little cloud is needed to prevent one from finding a star during the short period of a few minutes at twilight when both it and the horizon can be seen, whereas the sun can usually be glimpsed through the light clouds, or if not, is likely to show up through almost any cloud after a few minutes or at worst a few hours. This means that the sun can still be a valuable fix when the weather is foul. Stars are useless and a sight is badly needed. On the other hand, two big advantages of a four star fix are that a double check is obtained and the whole operation is completed in a comparatively short time. With the sun, it is necessary to make at least two separate observations with an hour or more interval between them in order to get a fix and wait another similar interval for the third observation if a check of the first two is needed. I had always expected a trouncing when it came to escaping from the Caribbean. There are only three outlets from the western half, the Yucatan Channel between Cuba and Mexico, the Windward Passage between Cuba and Haiti, and the Mona Passage between the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. The eastern half of the Caribbean is ringed by a string of smaller islands curving round from Puerto Rico, eastward and then south to Trinidad and mainland Venezuela. Passages can be made between most of these islands, but it would be sheer folly to beat 1,350 miles into a 20 to 30 knot wind against an equatorial current of up to a knot, making its way to the northwest end of the Caribbean to pass round the west end of Cuba and become the Gulf Stream between Cuba and Florida. Escaping at the west end was formidable enough. The Mona Passage lay east-northeast, a thousand miles from Bluff, and the Windward Passage northeast, 750 miles. Both were a beat to Windward. In that fine Admiralty volume, Ocean Passages of the World, sailing ships, square riggers, and clippers of a hundred years ago, which had business on the Spanish main, were advised to wait, if possible, until the summer months, when the wind was likely to be south of east, in order to sail out of the Caribbean by way of the Windward or Mona Passages. The easy way out would have been to take the same route as the current, but at that time of year it would entail running the gauntlet of the formidable northerly busters. I considered this too risky for a single-hander, sailing through a comparatively close waters for 750 miles. First of all, among the unlighted caves and sandbanks at the northwest end of the Caribbean, and then through the Yucatan Channel between Mexico and Cuba, followed by the Straits of Florida with the Bahamas crowding the water to the east of Florida. As I was not going to wait for the summer, my best tactics were to follow the coast southeast from Nicaragua, past Costa Rica, and then along the coast of Panama to Colombia, until I reached Cartagena, where I would beat across the Caribbean northeast to the Mona Passage, 650 miles, and from there into the open Atlantic. At first, Gypsy Moth ought to keep in a favourable current eddy by hugging the coast some 50 or 100 miles off for 570 miles in the Mosquito Gulf, along the Isthmus of Panama and into the Gulf of Darien. At least there ought not to be a contrary current there, according to the Admiralty routing chart for February. The trouble was that near the coast, the wind was likely to be patchy with calms interspersing squalls. Before Gypsy Moth was a day out of Bluff, I was beginning to have trouble with the rigging. In the morning, I found the main topmast stay slack and hardened it up. In the afternoon, the mizzen staysail stay was slopping about and I had to harden that up. The same thing then happened with the main staysail stay. 
and then I noted that the top of the mainmast was curving forward above the cross trees, although the backstay was taut, so taut that I felt it would be unwise to harden it up any more to straighten the main mast. I would try slacking off the main lower after shrouds and taking up the forward ones to straighten the curve, and this was partly successful. I decided then that Bart and I would never become tycoons in the yacht rigging business. Nothing is more exasperating for a single-hander than calms alternating with squalls. At midnight, with the spreader lights shining down in the darkness, the water looked like oil, and at first I thought it was coated with oil. It had that dead slap on the hull and bubbles in the bow wavelets, which happen with an oil-covered surface. How I dislike the slatting of sails, the banging of sheets and the clinking of booms that go with near calms. It is hard on the gear, but that was not the reason why I should soon be sewing for hours to repair a row of seams at the foot of the number one jib. There was no chafe on that sail along the foot. These seams had opened up simply through bad sewing where the stitches were not in any way anchored at the end of the seams. On the afternoon of the 19th, I thought Gypsy Moth was in the trade wind at last and set the number two jib in place of the 600. I expected the wind to freshen and Gypsy Moth would sail closer and more comfortably to the wind with the flatter smaller jib. I did not relish a week's solid hard pounding into the trade wind and its seas and swell. I wanted to make life as painless as possible, compatible with efficiency. But at 0725 the next morning I logged, this is a very weary man writing. The going is so rough that it is difficult to stand without being thrown, difficult to focus on small things like the latitude scale at the chart margin, difficult to rest. On top of that, I am dopey with lack of sleep. Gypsy Moth was plugging close hauled into a northeast wind of up to 30 knots. She had sailed through the steamer lanes converging on Panama from the northeast, but I had seen only three steamers. It was not always rough going. On the 21st of February, I woke at 0300 hours to calm, peaceful sailing at six knots, hard on the wind. An extraordinary change from the rough riding, which seemed interminable when sailing against the wind in the Caribbean. At noon, I was able to write, It's good to feel fit again, and I certainly am grateful for a quieter sea. I shall be on the wind continuously for another 770 miles before I get out of the Caribbean, 120 more in the Gulf of Darien, and then 650 to the Mona Passage. Although it is comparatively quiet today, Gypsy Moth has jumped twice off Wavecrest this morning. The tin of butter has jumped off the saloon table and other mop-ups were required. The noon fix had shown that Gypsy Moth had been in a strong current which had set her 21 miles southwards into the Gulf of Darien in 18 hours. In the evening, it has been quite a livestock day. First, that tarantula has turned up again. He scuttled out a couple of inches from under the tier of drawers below the liquor locker in the main cabin. When he saw me, he stood defiantly with his two claws held in the air before him like a scorpion's and then bolted up the face of the bottom drawer and hid behind the bow-shaped drawer handle. He thought himself safely hidden, but I could see his back and the two claws raised above his head. A nice thing if I gripped the handle to open the drawer. I darted for my death-ray gun and aimed the deadly beam at him. It turned and ran for it, scuttling back under the framework. He did not seem worried or affected. He seemed to be a survivor, and I began to admire him for that. If he survived this, he was a member of the crew. Then a horrible new creature turned up. At first I thought it was a giant flying ant. There was a touch of the praying mantis which eats the fore half of her mate while he is making love to her about its looks. 
I thought of the invasion of the earth by the Triffids and again rushed for my death ray of insecticide. This time I aimed the death-dealing jet with positive success, for later I found the creature on its back with its knees all drawn up. I felt sorry for it then, but there was just not room for a horrible-looking creature like that on a single-handed yacht. Later, when I was sewing the seams of the number one jib on deck, a moth appeared, a handsome, beautifully-mannered creature sitting on the sail where I would need to be sewing later. I did not want to frighten or disturb him. No, I am sure now that it was a her, so I worked on as quietly as possible so that she could fly away if she wished. But where could the poor creature go thirty-odd miles from land? So when the time came to work at the seam near her pitch, I fetched an empty honey jar and induced her to enter this where, after a short flutter, she settled down as if she was enjoying the honey. Tasmanian honey with an aroma almost as if scented. After I'd finished sewing, I took her into the cabin and removed the lid so that she could please herself. At present, she is perched on the beam above my berth and looking very contented. I do hope she will survive, but boat life is full of hazards for fluttering creatures. They will hide in out-of-the-way spots like a furled sail or a coil of rope, which sooner or later will be brought into violent or sudden action. At 20.40, on Monday the 22nd of February, Gypsy Moth was 40 miles west-northwest of Cartagena. The sails had been banging and slatting incessantly all day. Now a faint breeze put them to sleep. The currents in that area are tricky and treacherous and, of course, near the coast, must be more or less unpredictable. According to the current and wind chart for February, Gypsy Moth should have been in a favourable half-knot east-northeast current in this area, instead of which she had been set in the opposite direction by what appeared to be three knots for the past seven hours. I wondered if that was partly due to a tidal current. It's a worry for a solo sailor near land needing to sleep six or seven hours a day. What I wanted was a good breeze to get clear of the Spanish main, and in the end a freshet of wind had me out of my berth at 2200 hours. The wind steadily veered until Gypsy Moth was headed east by south, with the likelihood of more calms to follow, I did not at all like heading into the coast at night in case the very strong onshore current was still at work, so I decided to abandon my coast crawl with its calms and squalls and strike out across the sea where I hoped to find a steadier wind. So I tacked to the north. All night Gypsy Moth was plugging into a strong wind and a bouncing sea. There is nearly always a big swell running in the Caribbean Sea, with the night glasses, I watched a long steamer pitching to the swell and periodically disappearing completely from view behind it. Gypsy Moth behaves excellently in this sort of rough, hard going, provided she is precisely set up for it. A degree or two more off the wind and she pounds and bashes, due mostly to the extra speed. A few degrees closer to the wind and she slows right up and nearly stops. The amount of sail set is critical. She must have no more than the right amount of canvas or she makes life a hell below. In this case, she was sailing between 27.5 and 35 degrees off the relative wind of 25 to 32 knots. I dropped sail after sail until only the mizzen staysail and the main staysail were set. In 11 hours throughout the night, Gypsy Moth sailed 53 miles at an average of 4.8 knots. There is one thing about rough weather and things were definitely rough outside. Nothing is to be done on deck. If the boat is trimmed to sail comfortably and safely, the crew can sit back and relax. One obvious reason for stopping maintenance and deck work in a gale is because it becomes dangerous to move about, particularly in a boat at speed. 
I have to be careful above deck and below not to be thrown between hand grips. I always try to make sure that one hand grip is sound and firm so that if the boat suddenly jumps off the top of a wave or lurches madly to one side, I shall not be twisted away from the grip. However, in spite of this fine theory, I am often caught between grips and knocked about. Also, I always intend not to be caught out with something in each hand, such as a plate in one and a mug in the other, when moving from the galley to the cabin. Sometimes it seems so quiet that nothing can go wrong, and I make a dash for it. And then Gypsy Moth gives a big jump, and everything comes to grief. There is tea all over the cabin, and I am left the mug. At 1600 hours, on the 23rd, the wind began veering right round the clock from south, through west and north, to finish up in the northeast six hours later. First, Gypsy Moth changed over to the port chibe and gradually came hard on the wind on the port tack to end up as close to the wind as she could lay on the starboard tack. The heading then was between north by east and north-northeast, about 45 degrees off the heading I required to make the Mona Passage. It was dreary going, and by the next afternoon I had dropped the number two jib and was not far off needing the mizzen staysail down as well. The foredeck was taking a lot of water green and the wind was 35 knots up to 40 in a clear sky. I thought it must be associated with one of the northerly busters. I must have hit one of those two days in a hundred on which gales of force eight or more were predicted by the US Hydrographic Office for this five degree rectangle of latitude and longitude. One of my chief blessings was not having anything to do. I didn't want to. Gypsy Moth was headed away from land and there was no racing urgency to carry all sail possible, regardless of discomfort. I slept that night from about 8.30pm until 7.30am, except for a couple of hours at midnight, the longest sleep I had had at sea on the voyage. At midnight, I at last dropped the mizzen staysail. The wind was now up to 43 knots. And then I had a meal after filling the primus stove, the bottle of meths and the meths priming can. After that, I watered the garden and wound the chronometer before turning in again. I was totally fagged out. It had been a constant strain since I left Bluff with the strong, unpredictable currents and a succession of calms and gale squalls, often with the wind swinging right round through 180 degrees, seeming bent on sailing the boat into the breakers. When I woke, the wind had dropped to 27 knots, but it was not the wind that was important, but the sea. Just as I was entering in the log that the sea had quietened down, a wave slammed the side of the boat and cascaded into the cockpit, and the wind, which had seemed to have lost its driving, forceful, get-out-of-my-way note, piped up again. I thought the reefed mizzen would be worthwhile in giving a better heading into the wind. Without the mainstaysail, Gypsy Moth would not come up closer to the wind than 70 to 75 degrees, however much the tiller was put down to leeward, and the large amount of rudder needed to keep her to that acted as a break. Wednesday the 24th of February... 0957. Mizzen reefed at last. It takes longer to do than any job in a gale, and of course the mizzen is damn awkward with the boom high above the cockpit and the tiller knocking one's knees, doubling them up as one straddles it with a foot on each side of the cockpit seat. However, I am bursting with pride at the result. As I had made a botch up of the job last time, I ran through the operation step by step in my mind. The results now looked neater, and the reefing had been an easier job. It made all the difference to the sailing. First, it got rid of the lee helm, which was breaking the forward movement severely. Secondly, it enabled the heading to be pointed up 40 degrees nearer to the wind. And thirdly, it put the speed up from 3.5 to 5.25 knots. 
After this, I came up on deck to see a small trawler cross close ahead amid cloud bursts of white water as her bows ploughed into the steep waves. Well, that's the end of the episode for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. Now, if you haven't already, please check out the other podcast, The Mariner. There's lots of seamanship advice there and stories from my life sailing and we answer questions and go off on terrible tangents and things that uh, seem to keep people that are interested in sailing quite entertained. That's The Mariner podcast. Of course, you can go to YouTube and pick out The Mariner there. And at the moment, we're on board with the 40-foot Trimaran Spirit, sailing from Antigua to Bermuda and then on to New England. And all of this being made possible by the kind donations of sailors over on patreon.com forward slash The Mariner. Well, that's all for today from the Mariner's Library. I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.